Hallelujah. Yes, what a mighty God you are. You are great and greatly to be praised. And so, Father, we just open our hearts to receive a message from you. This is your word, and you said your words are life, and they are health to our bodies. So right now, as we open the word, I thank you, Father, that our bodies get better. Our bodies get healthier. Our minds get sharper. Our spirits get more excited about your, what you're wanting to do on our behalf right now in this day. And so, Father, we thank you that you are a mighty God, and we choose to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Just want to take a moment to welcome all you joining us via the internet. I'm so glad you've tuned in with us this morning, this evening, this afternoon, whatever it may be that you're watching. We're just so glad you're here with us. Just go ahead and lock in and pull on the gift that God has put on the inside of you, and you can receive right where you are, right there, just like you guys can receive right where you are. You got something in store this morning? Does God have something for you this morning? Yes. Well, if you don't think so, then you shouldn't have come <laughs> because we get our expectations. You know, I, I like what uh, Mark Hankins says. He says, expectation opens the door to the realm of the miraculous. If you're expecting nothing, you ever found that you get nothing? I'd rather expect much than expect little. Well, about a month ago, we were working on a series called Learning from the Prophets. And then we had some other things that got put in between in that time. And I, I was saying to Garnet, I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to finish that series. But then as I was studying this weekend, it just felt like, no, now's the time to wrap up that series, put a little bow on it, and let's finish the life of Elijah and Elisha, and then we'll move on. But we were doing Learning from the Prophets. And there, we started with Elisha, Elijah, and we told you that he is a representation of what John the Baptist would be, but Elisha, who came after him, was a representation of Jesus. He is, a, he is a picture type and a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. So out of the two lives, the one that you should probably hook into most is Elisha. But you want to know what? Most people look more to Elijah. And we had that, that uh, song that came out in the last 10 years that like millions of churches like to sing, these are the days of Elijah. No, they aren't. These are the days of Jesus. I would rather look at Jesus because that's the day that I live in. That's the, the, what he had purchased for me so I can walk in. I don't need to look to the old. I want to live in the new because that's where I have been called to live. And so if you want to emulate one, emulate Elisha over Elijah. Because Elijah was a very flawed person, and he was always looking for God's wrath and looking for judgment and saying, you know, if, if you don't turn, this is what's going to happen. But you want to know what you see in Elisha? You see God's mercy and his grace. He never asked someone to turn from his sin, their sin. He just opens up the door so that they can walk into blessing. But in the series that we have been doing, the main point that we need to remember, just getting everybody back up to speed, is that every time you back away from the battle, you lose. And every time you show up to the battle, you win. And we see that in Elijah's life. He had some great miracles that took place. You know, he took on the 450 prophets of Baal. You know, he called down uh, fire from heaven to consume the altar. But then he also had very low moments, like right coming off of that victory. Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he says, I'm out of here. And he runs for 40 days through the desert up into the mountain to hide. And so we see that every time you back away, you lose. 
You never win a battle you never showed up to. But in Christ Jesus, you win every battle you show up to. Because he said he always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. So when you show up, you win. Say, I win. I win. And we see this reflected in probably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, and that is Moses. And I was thinking about how De Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10 says, There has never been a prophet like Moses who was close and seen God face to face. But then as I thought about that, who was the one that put the first five books of the Bible together? That would be Moses. So I think that was Moses tooting his own horn because most of the prophets, there was 48 prophets and seven prophetesses in the Old Testament, and most of them came after Moses. So how would Moses know if he was the greatest? So I think it's a little bit of showboat in there on Moses' behalf, but he was. He, when he was standing on the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are at their back and the waters to their front, this is what he said to the people. He said, fear not and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you will never see again. And he said, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your, everyone say it, peace. peace and remain at rest. I thought that was a good tie into the series we just finished up on the battle for peace. If you hold your peace and remain at rest, the Lord will fight for you. But in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9 it says there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And now when we hear that, we can almost think that our life is to sit back. But the word rest in the New Testament is not a passive word. It is a very active word. You rest by walking into the promises of God. You hold on to them. You fight for them. You say, I'm giving priority to your peace, God. I'm giving priority to your blessing. I'm giving priority to the healing you've given me. I'm giving priority to your love and your joy. And we fight for those things, and that opens the door for us to walk into them. And the next verse says, let us labor Therefore, to enter into that rest. And so it almost seems like a bit of a paradox. You know, God wants us to labor, but yet be at rest. He's just trying to focus our attention on fight for what is right. You know, there's a lot of things we fight for in our lives that God is saying, that's really not the important thing. If you would focus in on these other things, you will see a greater blessing in your life than you have before. And so we are to labor to enter into rest. We are to work to step into God's blessings that he has prepared for us. And so this is what, if we jump back to the Red Sea with Moses, Moses tells the people, the Lord will fight for you. Hold on to your peace and remain at rest. And then this is God's reply to them. You ready for it? The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Why? Why did he tell the people of Israel to go forward? Why did he tell them to stop complaining to me and get up and get moving? Because you can't steer a parked car. You can't sail a docked ship. If you want God to influence your life and move you into victory, you got to get up and get moving. 
There's no time, time to sit back. There is no time to wait for him to come through. He'll work with you as you get up and get moving. Amen? So let's jump back to Elisha. When we left, last left Elisha, we found him. He was in the city of Samaria, and he was surrounded by the Arameans, and the people of the city are starving. They're resorting to cannibalism. They are eating dove crap. They're just, it's just a crazy situation. The people are in such a hard situation. And we find that the king... He's blaming God and Elisha. The reason why he's blaming Elisha is because he can't get his hands on God. So if I can't kill God, I might as well kill Elisha. He represents him. And then we've got Elisha saying to the people that God is going to turn it all around. And then we have the top officer of all the cities saying, that's never going to happen, Elisha. It's, he says it's too much for God. The actual words he said is, it didn't, doesn't matter if God opened up the windows of heaven and rained down to us right now. He still couldn't do it. So that points that man's faith. But you know what? And all three of these people, something I recognize between the king, between Elisha, and between the officer, all of them were doing nothing. They were all in the city. They were still surrounded. Not one of them thought, you know, let's get up and let's go face the Arameans because we're dying here. Nobody was doing anything. Even Elisha. He's just waiting in the city, starving with the rest of them. And I started to think, you know, the ones that we really should be emulating in this situation is not the king, is not Elisha, is not the officer, but the ones that we see in chapter 7, verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates, and they said, why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, with the and with, but with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. And something went off in me as I was reading that this week that we have to understand, if we're already in a place of failure and it looks like things are breaking apart, what do you have to lose? Get up and believe God. You're already failing, right? And so many people, when they get to the place of failure, they sit in it and say, well, I guess I'm stuck. What happens if you get up and fail a little more? What happens if you get up and succeed next time? And so these men looked at the situation and said, well, we're starving here. If we go back to the city, we starve and die. So we're dying anyways. We might as well go face the enemy. And whatever situation you find yourself in today, the answer for you is you might as well go face the enemy. Face the thing that is staring you down because your victory is not where you're dying. Your victory is where you're supposed to be fighting. And the, three, the reality is that the nation of Israel and Judah could have come together and beaten Aram and sent Ben-Hadad back to Aram, but they didn't. They sat where they were and they allowed him to get the advantage over them. Never sit still. Go face the battle. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans, but when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. 
For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaches. And they said, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us. And they cried to one another. So here we had the four lepers. They decide, you know what? Let's go face the enemy on our own. We'll die here or we'll die there. We're dying anyways. We might as well do it over there. But as they got up and got on the road, their four sets of feet turned into the sound of an army sound of chariots the sounds of many horses and the enemy thought here comes a great army you know when you get up and get moving you don't know what the enemy's hearing you think it's just little old you strolling down towards the battle but when you go forward you go with the hosts of heaven with you you go with all the power of God at your back you face the battle with 10,000 10,000 times 10,000 angels with you you know, when Jesus was up on the cross, they said that he could have called millions of angels down to end it all right there. You know what? The same that are at his disposal are at your disposal. Because what's good for one brother is good for another. And he was the firstborn among many brethren. So when you get up to go face whatever it is that has been holding you back, God will fight for you. But you got to move forward. And so they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents and their horses and their donkeys and everything else, and as they fled for their lives, and when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off the silver and the gold and the clothing, and they hid it. Four men just walked into the best day of their lives. They didn't leave it there, though. They said, you know what? That's not right. Maybe we should go tell the starving people of the city that there's no one here. And that's what they did. And Israel came out, and they ate, and they didn't die, and they went on. But I want to move on from here, and I want to take a look at Elisha's final days. But to understand Elisha's final days, we need to look at Elijah's final days. When we last left Elijah, he's up on the side of a mountain, hiding. God sends an earthquake and a fire and, and a wind, and then he speaks to him in a still, small voice. And Elijah stops to listen to God. And this is what it says. The voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? I can so relate to that. How many times have you been hiding somewhere that you weren't supposed to be, and God just says, what are you doing here? Your place is in hiding in this mountain. Your place is down there in victory land. And so he says to Elijah, what are you doing here? And so Elijah replied to him, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And we told you that pretty much everything that he had just said in that statement was not true. They didn't tear down all the altars. They just tore down some of them. They didn't kill all the prophets. They just killed some of them. And there was a whole bunch that he knew about himself that were still alive but was choosing to ignore. And then God reminds him, you know, I've got 7,000 people that are still on your side, Elijah. Stop complaining. Stop moaning. Get up and go. And so the Lord tells him, go back the same way you came. Whatever you chose not to face today, you will face again tomorrow because it doesn't just go away. So ignoring it today is not going to change tomorrow. It's not going to change until you choose to face it. 
I love what H.G. Wells said. I came across this a little while ago. He said, if you fell down yesterday, stand up today. And that just seems so, I don't know, logical. If you fell down, get up. You know, failure is not falling down. It's not getting up. And so if yesterday you got knocked down, that's okay. You got the power to stand up and win today because the power of God has not left you. And so the Lord says to him, go back the same way you came. Elijah, you still have to face that situation. And he says, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, point number one, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then, number two, anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And number three, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. And he tells them this. This is God's game plan. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. But you know what Elijah did? None of it. He didn't go anoint Hazael. He didn't go anoint Jehu. And surprisingly, he didn't even anoint Elisha, the one who would be his successor. What do we know about the calling of Elisha? Elijah walked up, he threw the mantle on him, and he kept on walking. That's not how they did it. What God wanted him to do was take what they did with prophets and kings. They would take a flask of oil and they would pour it down over their head as a symbolizing of God's anointing and God's presence coming down upon them, coating them very much. You know, have you ever been got oil all over yourself? It's hard to get off. You like scrub and you scrub and you still feel like you're slimy and slick. It was a symbol that God has so saturated you and permeated your being that you can't get it off. That's what he was supposed to do. But Elijah did not come down from that mountain going, that's right, I'm going to have to face what I was just running from. No, he was like, fine, Elijah's going to replace me. Take my mantle then. And he went on. It really gives you a different picture of who Elijah was. He was not this happy-go-lucky, let's-go-fight-the-battle guy. He was the fine God replace me then. Anybody relate to that with their teenager? <laughs> Elijah did not do what God had asked him to do. The reason why Elijah was hiding on the mountain is because he was running from Jezebel. God had already wanted to deal with Ahab and Jezebel at the palace where Elijah was before he ran. Then God wanted to deal with Ben-Hadad. He wanted to replace him with Hazael. And he wanted to, have to be Jehu in Ahab's place. Don't get tied up in all the weird names. They're not important to the story. But Elijah backed away from every battle that God had asked him to fight in his final days. And what it led to was 20 or 30 years of all-out war between Israel, Judah, Aram, Assyria, all the nations around, the whole, play, whole region was thrown into chaos and they were fighting and killing each other for a lot of years. And God wanted to end it on that day. What you don't face today will continue to grow and flourish in your life. When you want to plant good things, you got to uproot the things that you don't need. But thank God for second chances. Because remember, we told you that you aren't Elijah and Elisha in this story. You're the nation of Israel. And God hadn't changed his plan for them. 
Yeah, Elijah screwed up, but then he sent Elisha to patch it all back together. And so we find that in chapter 8 of 2 Kings. And in verse 7 it says, Elisha went to Damascus, the capital of Aram, where Ben-Hadad lay sick. And when someone told the king that the man of God had come, the king sent to Hazael and said, Take a gift to the man of God, then tell him to ask the Lord, Will I recover from this illness? So Ben-Hadad, the enemy of Israel and Judah, is on his bed sick, and Elisha shows up at his doorstep. And so his question to Elisha is, am I dying? Is this the end? And so Hazael loaded down 40 camels with the finest products of Damascus as a gift for Elisha, and he went to him and said, your servant Ben-Hadad, I think that's funny because now he's trying to get in Elisha's good books when he's been fighting against them for the last 30 years, but okay. Your servant Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, has sent me to ask, will I recover from this illness? And Elisha replied, go and tell him, you will surely recover, but actually the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. Now, it's not that God was lying he would have recovered, but what happened next actually supersedes that. Elisha stared at Hazael with a fixed gaze until Hazael became uneasy and the man of God started weeping. And he said, what's the matter, my Lord? And Elisha said, I know the terrible things you will do to the people of Israel. You will burn their fortified cities. You'll kill their young men with a sword. You'll dash their little children to the ground and you'll rip open their pregnant women. Now, this is the point where I should interject that the Old Testament looks a lot more like Game of Thrones than it does Little House on the Prairie. And we often try to put rose-colored glasses on. Oh, it was such good, you know, everything. People made stupid choices, and they received the benefits of those choices. You will reap what you sow. That's why it's important to look at what you're sowing. And so he knew that Hazael was not going to be a good king, but he was still going to be better than Ben-Hadad. And so Hazael responded, how could a nobody like me ever accomplish such great things? And Elisha answered and said, the Lord has shown me you are going to be the king of Aram. And when Hazael left Elisha, he went back and the king asked him, what did Elisha tell you? And Hazael responded, he told me you will surely recover. But the next day, Hazael took a blanket, soaked it in water and held it over the king's face until he died. And Hazael became the next king of Israel. So God didn't lie. Ha Ben-Hadad would have recovered from the sickness, but he didn't make it past Hazael trying to take his place. Then we jump over to the land of Israel. In verse chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Elisha the prophet had summoned a member of the group of prophets and said, Get ready to travel. And he said, Take this flask of olive oil with you. Go to Ramoth-Gilead and find Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and call him into a private room away from his friends. And then pour the oil over his head and say to him, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you to be the king over Israel. Then open the door and run for your life. I love that part. He's like, Anoint him as king, but you don't know what he's going to do. So when you're done, run like heck. Get out of there. And so the young prophet did as he was told, and he went to Ramoth Gilead. And so he anoints Jehu king of Israel, but there's somebody else sitting on that throne right now, and it just happens to be one of Ahab's sons. So Ahab was preceded by one son who died, and then another son took it after him. And so the line that has been oppressing Israel has been sitting on the throne, and now God is raising up a righteous king to take his place. And so Jehu goes out, and the other commanders of the army said, hey, what did the crazy prophet want? 
is really what they said. And he said, um, well, you know what mad people do. They just kind of ramble on, ramble on, kind of like what I'm doing right now. And they, he said, no, no, tell us what he said. And he said, he anointed me as king of Israel. And they pulled out their swords and laid them down and said, will serve you. So now the army is no longer on Ahab's side or Ahab's son's side. And so Jehu goes to where the palace was. He takes out Ahab's entire family line and kills Jezebel. He does what Elijah was supposed to do 30 years prior to that point. And it happens exactly like Elijah prophesied many years. He told Jezebel, he said, you're going to be crushed against the stones, and then dogs are going to eat you. And that's exactly what happened. When Jehu shows up, she gets thrown out a window and splatters on the ground, and the dogs come and eat her before they can even uh, bury her. And so what was supposed to take place 30 years ago is now taking place. What does that all have to do with everything? It doesn't matter how bad you screwed up. In your early years, God can take it and turn it back around and get everything back on track. Right. That's right. But it takes a little movement from you. So maybe things have always been like they are right now. They don't have to always be that way. God can make a change in your life like that. He can bring things that you thought would never be in your life and bring them up to fruition. And you'll be like... Where did that come from? It all comes when you face the battle. So let's jump ahead to Elisha's last days. It says, when Elisha was in the last, his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. And he said, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. That's the exact same thing that Elisha said when Elijah was going home. And Elisha said to him, go and get a bow with some arrows. So the king did as he was told. And Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. And when he commanded, open the eastern window. And he opened it and he said, now shoot. And so he shot an arrow. And Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will be completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. And then he said to him, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. Now, what's going on here? Elisha is prophetically telling King Jehoash, who is the son of Jehu, by the way, because he's, Elisha actually lived a long time. He's saying, these arrows represent your victories. He says, the one that we're shooting is for Aphek, and the ones you're now going to hit against the ground are for all the other victories you're going to win. And so he took them, and he, the king picked them up, and he struck them against the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be only victorious only three times. When God is sending you out to battle, don't just be like, okay, God, let's do this. No, he's saying, go all the way. 
You want 10 victories? Smack those arrows 10 times. You want 20 victories? Smack those arrows 20 times. What, how many victories do you need in your life? Keep on going to battle. Keep on hitting them to the ground. Keep on pressing forward because your victories are in your hands, not God's. And people don't like to hear that. They think we're waiting around, waiting for God, and God is waiting for you to get up and face the battle. Because every time you face the battle, you win. And so Elisha gets mad at the king because he's only going, one, two, three. Are we good now, Elisha? Can you just die and we go on with this? No. When God sets you on a course, go all the way. Then Elisha died and was buried. And you think that was where the story ends. Elisha is dead. But it goes on and says, And groups of Moabite raiders used to live or used to invade the land each spring. And once some Israelites were burying a man, and they spied a band of these raiders, so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. You think that it made your life and what your decisions have made it look like a graveyard? That's okay. God can breathe life into you. He can bring life to dead bones. And what you thought was dead, he can spring back to life and bring it back to the start. You know, God is wanting to tell you this morning that some things you've let go of, you never should have let go of. Let God breathe life back into them. It was not meant because you've waited 30, 40, 50, I don't know how long years or whatever you're looking at, God can still bring life back into that dream. He can see it go all the way because you ain't dead yet. You still got life in your bones and the life of God will keep feeding that life that you draw on. So Elijah walked away from all the battles and God raised up Elisha to bring them to the end. God will raise up whatever you need to bring it to the way he has spoken it to. Because the word says that no word that came out of his mouth is absent of power. It goes forth to accomplish what it was commissioned to do. If God said you were healed, well, I've been waiting 20 years. Stop waiting. Get up and walk in your healing. When God said you're blessed, but you know, I still feel like I'm as broke as the day I was yesterday, get up and walk in the blessings he's given you. Amen. It's not dead. He'll breathe life to it. Amen. The whole story of Elisha ends this way. And Hazael, the king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. But... The Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would not destroy them or cast them out from his presence. So they fought battles all their lives, but the grace of God never left. The mercy of God never left. And it will never leave you because they didn't even have as strong a covenant as you do. You have a better covenant built on better promises that was ratified in the blood of Jesus. And so he can't cast you out from his presence. But if you feel like you've left it, that's okay. Walk back through the doors into the throne room of God. It says boldly come before the throne of God to receive grace in your time of need. Do you need some grace right now? It's found at the throne room of God. Go ahead and walk back in. He has not cast you out. You have not left his grace. You have not left his mercy. 
you have not left his love, he still has victories for you to win. God's grace and mercy will always keep you. You have been called to battle and you've been destined to win. I don't know what you've been facing this week, but this is a war cry. You will win all the battles you face. You've been called to it. Doesn't matter what it is, how big or small, God's bigger than them all. You're going to have opportunities this week to stand up and say, no, I draw the line here, devil. I win. And you know what? He can't do anything about that. He's been defeated. He's been crushed. Anytime you call for battle, you win. So, Father, we thank you for the battles that you've called us to this week. We thank you, Father, that we go ahead and prophetically declare into them victory. Go ahead and say that with me. Victory. victory. I declare victory. Say it again. I declare victory. I declare victory in my finances. I declare victory in my body. I declare victory in my thoughts. I declare victory in my friendships. My relationships with my family. I thank you that this season is a season of restoration. I'm taking back what was stole from me. In Jesus' name. Maybe you've been listening to us this morning via the internet and you haven't made your introduction with God. Maybe you're in this place with us this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. Don't wait another minute. You always win in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to pray with you right now. Father, I receive Jesus. I thank you for the victory he won. And now I choose to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we have some resources we'd like to get into your hands. If you were at home and you prayed that, get in contact with us. We'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area. Guys, you have no idea how much power is at your back. If we could only understand what it was that Elisha understood that day when the armies surrounded him and his servant said, what are we going to do? And Elisha said to his servant, Lord, open his eyes to see that there's more with us than there are with them. However big your problem is, there's more with you than there are with him. So Father, we thank you for it. We give you glory in this place. And we look forward to winning this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are all blessed. Let's have some fellowship and let's have some coffee together.